0: Jake, what I thought we'd do is we talk for like forty minutes or so about uh, com- comedy and cancel culture. Get your perspective on it, and you can give me some shit about uh, my my bad tweet on Chappelle, But then, <laughs> but then in in the second half, because I'd like to have you for the parrot room, you can really go after me about Chappelle And and you know, uh, at the end of that, I'll be crying. Is the is thought. <laughs> so people want to see me cry on camera, like uh, like uh, like a Jordan Peterson. They yeah. can they can look to the parrot room. So that's that's how we'll we'll do this. The death of God is about the drying up of a horizon of meaning and of a whole form of human life. Where do we stand in the illusion it makes? What kind of space are we invited into? The
1: material relations between people become social relations between things. When we look at toasters, corn, and TVs,
0: we don't. We still, to a large extent, live in the interregnum between between worlds, if you will, or between paradigms. Not many people in the history of the world have faced that. Zero squared is the Zero Books podcast.
1: Hello, everyone. Uh, My name is Jake Flores. I am a stand-up comedian originally from texas i live in brooklyn now and i'm based out of new york um and i'm also a podcaster i have a podcast called pod damn america that's a leftist podcast pretty run-of-the-mill it's run by me and two other comedians and another one called why you mad that's more about like culture and art and stuff like that that i do with Mm -hmm. a friend of mine who's an anthropologist and a comedy booker and um yeah so i mean basically you know, I've got a, a foot in each of these worlds, stand up comedy and, you know, organizing in theory and stuff like that.
0: So what what brought us together for this recording, and I just said it, but I'll say it again, was that I decided it would be a good idea to try to market uh, a book called Canceling Comedians While the World Burns by walking into the battle about Dave Chappelle's recent comedy concert and and got ratioed. Like I'd never been ratioed before. It was (laughs) was an amazing experience. Um, And you, 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 you know, popped off with just a simple no uh, to my tweet. Uh, I'll say I regret the second tweet. I regret the tweet where I said Dave Chappelle's concert was moving and that anyone who thought he was transphobic hadn't seen it. That that's obviously wrong, right? I mean, people saw it, people who are trans saw it, and they thought it was transphobic. And my reaction is a, Gen X, uh, you know, cis white guy is not necessarily the the litmus test for whether or not it was transphobic. Um, but one of the things that came out of our exchange was that you said that people in comedy don't have the same attitude, I guess about cancel culture maybe, or about uh, these kinds of issues as might be thought that the, the only like Gavin McGinnis and Steven Crowder really, take take this position well that that a fair characterization of what you tweeted sure and
1: like you know everything on twitter it's a reduction of you know what i or you were trying to say and so there's more to it than that um I, i think it's um the point i was trying to make i guess is specifically about the point of view that i feel like you and burgess are coming from especially with writing a book called canceling comedians while the world burns is that what I see as a comic a lot is people who are fans of comedy, who believe that they are speaking in defense of and on behalf of comedians as if comedians are a singular movement when they talk about stuff like cancel culture. And that sort of then plays out into this thing where then if you disagree with your own fans or something and say, I don't see it that way, they go, well, you're not really a comedian because <laughs> what I've decided is this premise that it's comedians versus cancel culture and so on and so forth. And so the first thing that I felt really compelled to point out here is that, you know, like with Burgess's book, which I liked, you know, I, I read his book and we had him on my show and we had a really good conversation. And by the way, up top, I appreciate you guys. You know, this mm-hmm. the fun, the funny thing about this is that I, I think it's really great that you're so candid and that you, uh, you know, pr- completely see this situation for what it is and had a good laugh about getting ratioed and stuff like that. <laughs> right. But a lot of people yeah. aren't, a lot of people go straight into, you know, fist fighting after this sort of stuff. Right. And, uh, that's clearly not a good you know there's nothing productive about that so so i appreciate that i appreciate that about burgess as well but i will say about his book is uh you know when i read it that's the first thing that occurred to me was um this guy's not a comic and i know a lot of other comics that are somewhat involved in left stuff even if it's just to the extent of being on like left twitter and i can't say that i count a lot of like comedians i know as people who were like appreciative of that point of view and that book especially leftists the only ones that i know that particularly see things that way tend to come out of um the right-wing media sphere that is also very prevalent and in my opinion in comedy kind of a something to keep an eye on right now because you know I, i name dropped like gavin mcginnis failed comedian and you know he went from trying to do stand up to alternative media and then that turned into the proud boys and all of
0: did he do vice before he was a stand up or was that after
1: i'm not really sure which one of those came first cuz i know he did vice you know so early in his life um yeah. but i think it was all one big ball of wax when he was just like a culture guy back then you know and he yeah. he had inklings of of points of view like this like one of his big things that i remember and this is all a journey for myself too you know so i'm not mm-hmm. going to sit here and tell you i was you know born uh you know wise and all this stuff and I, mm-hmm. I know everything but like i remember early on reading gavin mcginnis and he would say something that really resonated with me as a comic which is he would talk about race and he would talk about how liberal like white people are overly sensitive about words that aren't even about them and if you're really down with like you live in brooklyn and you live around people of color if you know them well enough, you're literally, you know, making the jokes that these white people in their little condos are getting offended about. And then you look at that and you go, okay, like, what do we make of this? And I, right. the math on it to me in retrospect is now pretty obvious. Like, people like that really like to point out, um, like, the things that are inconsistent about liberals who cynically utilize identity politics. But the problem is the, I think it's correct diagnosis, incorrect uh, prescription. Like, yeah, that you know. Oh well, yeah, liberal. Yeah, I mean, system. obviously,
0: with Gavin McInnes, McInnes is clearly the wrong prescription. I mean, the guy's a nutbag. But go on. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you.
1: No, no. I mean, uh, yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, I was getting off on a tangent here, but um, yeah, I mean, well, with with, I mean, this comes back down to looking at cancel culture from a left perspective. Like, I think we're looking at. Things that we can all agree are, you know, if, if you are looking at them in this way, something maybe not great is happening here. Um, but then where we go from there with this argument, I think um, that's where things get a little bit hairy. And it's we're we're, we're going to have to get into it here in this
0: conversation. Yeah. You know what? Right now, you know what I'm thinking, Jake? Thinking in the future, I should use a comb before I do these things. OK. <laughs> 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 um, but uh, uh, also, um all right. So I want to push back a little bit about what you you just said. Nothing uh, about, you know, Gavin having the right, uh, uh, you know, critique of liberals, but the wrong solution uh, for it. I mean, obviously that's true. And uh, I also do think you're right. I would um, you know better than I, but that a right wing version of comedy is being born and has been, you know, it's never really gone away. It's been there. Right. There have been right wing comics. Um, But I just feel as though maybe there's an older school like Gen X and Boomer uh, set of comedians who have a similar perspective like Bill Burr or Seinfeld or, 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 you know, the late uh, Norm MacDonald or on and on and on who uh, I think that you could pull any one of those types of pretty big mainstream established comedians who would, who would have this perspective And what I think is defensible in the perspective, like that, that Norm MacDonald put forward. And I don't think, I I don't know Norm MacDonald's politics, but I know he was, I wouldn't consider him a leftist by any stretch, right? Not at all. No, he's a conservative, actually. He was, yeah, for a Canadian, he was conservative, right? No one is mourning his
1: politics. That's something that we're getting conflated here because he didn't do political comedy. He didn't, no. Everyone's no, I know. Because he's funny and he died, but no one's right. Like, oh. but, but his takes about Afghanistan, like you
0: know. Yeah, no, but right. He didn't do political comedy, but he did have a perspective on what comedy was and what the kind of ethos of a comedian should be, which isn't wasn't about politics. Like one of the things he would say, because I, when people die that I kind of like, I become like super obsessed and dive down the rabbit hole. And like, I actually, after I watched Dave Chappelle's uh, concert, I said, Oh, I hope he dies soon. Cause then I can watch everything <laughs> that
1: he does. And then everyone just backtracked and was like, Oh, I, <laughs> right. I always loved him. He was the greatest, you
0: know, I don't wish Dave Chappelle any ill, you know, no. uh, but I, if he did die, it would give me great opportunity to obsess about him. Um, but <clears throat> anyway, so Norm MacDonald, uh, one of the things he said is his favorite comedian is Bob Hope. And because Bob Hope didn't have anything to say, he was he they didn't even have good jokes. He just had his raw talent as a comedic presence, is yeah. so sort of what Norm Macdonald would say. And so Macdonald has this view of comedy as some sort of he had this view of comedy as some sort of I almost like art for its own sake, or uh, or laughs for their own sake. You know, um, I think Conan O'Brien might have said similar things at some point. Um and I don't agree that comedy shouldn't be political or that it that it, you can't do more with it than just get laughs. I definitely like my favorite comedians are include like Stewart Lee. Um but nonetheless I do appreciate that and I feel as though having another value other than the political message for a comedy concert or for a comedian is defensible maybe not correct or you know maybe you have to think about both things but i i i think that might be a more common view in among certain comedians than than and then not just a right-wing view
1: well okay so right off the bat see there's something tricky that just happened this is you named a handful of comedians and identified them all as older like gen x and boomers right
0: Mm -hmm. but
1: the other thing that all those people have in common is that they're rich and they're made it out of you know ostensibly the working class if they were ever in it a lot Mm. of people in the arts never were they just sort of walked directly into this posh lifestyle Mm. and i think at the heart of like those particular that class of comedians having this point of view in common to me the explanation is way more that they've become professionals right so there's this tweet steve albini did about it that i I had pulled up because i thought he uh sort of synthesized this pretty succinctly that I want to jump off of. He said, uh, it's not hard to reconcile that Dave Chappelle, once he got rich enough to be comfortable for life, reverted to ideas suited to people who feel entitled to certainty and comfort in their notion of the world, including their perception of others, you know, regular asshole stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> I think what's going on with, um, with these comedians is like, you know, it's honestly pretty telling that we're sitting here identifying them as like kind of not like like someone like Bob Hope as like not political because he was a big icon in like the 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 Nixon era, like clean, you know, back to American values kind of guy. He did all the first USO shows and stuff like that. Yeah. And to look at him and go, that's not a person is like saying, Well, he doesn't have an accent. He's in America and he's talking a certain way, so he doesn't okay. have an accent, right? But he yeah. is he's white, right? And when I say white, also that's a complicated thing because it doesn't just mean the color of your skin, it refers to this complex thing that's sort of formed in America as the concept of being like a first class citizen. And I think what's going on with a guy like Chappelle is that you know he he and by the way one of my favorite comedians of all time. And and that's why I'm criticizing him so much. (laughs) Right, right, right. I really, if you'd ask me at any point until the last few years, honestly, top three comedians, he's always in there. Like I love Chappelle, which is why this is coming from a place of you should criticize artistically things you respect. So for me, I, with people like that get really famous and rich and successful, they become kind of frozen in like the year that it happened. And I think the reason Chappelle's becoming sort of like more monstrous and weird as he gets older is because what he's what happens in that moment is that you cease to be like in actual relations with society and it moves and you don't. And so we've got this person who's, you know, like a lot of these comics grappling with this thing that irritates them. And it probably irritates them a little bit more than it irritates the rest of us because you know, for them, it's it's in stark contrast to their, to this tendency that your brain kind of wants, which is to relax and to, you know, to, to stop, you know, like a shark, stop swimming, you know, and I, I think that's also why it tends to overlap with older people, but it's the older people who came from generations where they had, you know, I mean, what is the thing we always say about boomers? It's like, well, the world was fucking easy for you. Like, of course you have a collection of guitars and classic cars and stuff like that. If you're an old white guy, like, you know, great. The world isn't really different from us. So I think this, this, um, this sort of like self victimization and this looking at, um, imagining an enemy that is a vague amorphous culture is i don't know how else to say it. it's just old guy stuff it's like and it's rich guy stuff too and it's also you know poor people buy into this shit too because we live in a world of temporarily embarrassed millionaires you know so it's not just like i'm not gonna sit here as a you know reductionist and go oh, it's just rich people shit either but it's a rich point of view you know of of not wanting to ever be bothered by a, a thing again and wanting and and also try like i um uh, explaining away that feeling as oh it must be this new phenomenon known as a culture you know it's something that i can yell at long enough to get everyone to stop doing because it's just it came from nowhere like these voices have always been around they just didn't have you know the internet right you didn't have so much social media a comedian mm. used to have a green room that they hid inside of and they never had to read youtube comments and stuff like this and what's absurd to me about this is that Chappelle has done like three or four specials just pissed off about the fact that someone wrote a think piece about him online that person got paid 50 bucks that shit doesn't pay anything you know <laughs> it's just to put out there uh to express a point of view that there's you're perfectly allowed
0: to it's um it's something right. that when you react to it like that. go ahead but okay well a c- couple things we'll we'll talk more about just chappelle in a bit because i was i want to because i mean i, I want to defend chappelle a little bit more and also push back against the reaction to him but in the parrot room i want to save that for the paying customers that's sure. the juicy <laughs> bit <laughs> but but um but i want to go back to this thing about bob hope and pure comedy, like, I'm not a fan of Bob Hope. I've never seen a Bob Hope movie. I, I, uh, I don't, I do know that he was, for me, uh, I think of Bob Hope because he was on TV when I was a kid. Uh, and I think of him as associated with the Reagan administration more than Nixon because I wasn't around in Nixon's time, really. Uh, and yeah, being apolitical is a political move. Steve Martin is another great example of an apolitical comic that actually the fact that he became so successful when he did was uh you know showed that the new left and the radical movement of the 60s and 70s had died off and that he was a, he was a return to normal he was a return to the status quo so like i understand that perspective but on the other hand i think it's complicated because i do think that com- comedy Fundamentally is about uh it's not just about jokes and laughter, but about I don't know, some sort of shared experience of about the absurdity of life, turning people's pain into something that you can share and laugh at. I mean, I i, I feel like a fucking Hallmark card. Um <laughs> <laughs> but I uh but I do think that's what makes really great comedy great is when you you feel like a human connection to the comedian, and that's why so many that's why confessional co- comedy works, I think. Um, that's why Rodney Dangerfield is relatable, you know. That kind of yeah. So, so, and Bob Hope. I, apparently, I don't know this cause from uh, uh, from having watched him, but according to Norm Macdonald, he was very good at getting the audience to laugh at his humanity rather than laugh at his jokes. And th- the other thing I'll say is like, I know Woody Allen is canceled. And I shouldn't mention Woody Allen, but but according to norm macdonald woody allen stole almost everything from bob hope so it wasn't a white wow. thing uh like like his early comedy his whole persona was bob hope's persona from the old road pictures and then you know chris rock huge fan of woody allen probably took some some of that essence of bob hope from woody allen in the process. so it's not it's not a one it's not a white guy thing it's a comedy thing well uh, I, argue. I mean yeah I'm trying to point to the comedy part. Anyway, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, hmm, I don't know. See, so I got a few. I got to take umbrage with a few parts of that. Like, okay, because you know, whiteness is becoming a first class citizen. So you can be a person of color and be like, you know, trying to get that. You know, I mean, it, this mm-hmm. is a tricky thing to argue about because if you are, if you water down that definition enough, well, then I mean, we're just talking about being, you know, a class or something like that, and you know, we're socialists so that probably maybe isn't that the worst thing in the world but um i i think that that's what these famous people have in common because for me as a leftist as a comic like i don't always i don't think in terms of oh the great titans of comedy like oh the the what's your mount rushmore of comedy the greatest of all time that's a fan point of view if you ask me what my favorite comics are i'm gonna list a bunch of people who are working right now who you've never heard of because i'm in comedy (laughs) right 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 And, and i personally think a lot of them have points of view that are way more interesting than people that are doing their seventh netflix special because after a while like when you first start writing as a comic you can do this thing you're describing which is connect on the basis of humanity in ways that are just w- way more resonant than when you're when you're a rich famous person complaining about like oh don't you know how don't you hate when your caviar is spoiled you know which is essentially <laughs> the coming out of most of these fucking people
0: that's certainly you know dave Chappelle had bits of moments like that in the special like when he said if you ever see me in a walmart by the way that means my my life has gone to hell (laughs) like
1: that you know that's a funny commentary on what he's talking about but like but these specials bore the shit out of me because they're all about the same thing and he's really good so he does something that's really tricky which is he's still Funny from time to time within these specials like he he still has it you see this with every aging brain decaying fucking brainwormed famous rich comic is that they you know, still watch the ageism
0: man because i've got the brain worms <laughs> all right so you gotta be careful around me i'm right. fragile go on, go
1: on. <laughs> i'll save it for the second half i'll, I'll remember that uh, <laughs> okay okay but you see, i mean it's they're always these these specials are such strange artifacts to watch because like you know i I'm fascinated by them, so I watch all of them. I watched like the Nick DiPaolo one that came out a couple years ago where he was mm. the only he released it on YouTube because he couldn't get it put up anywhere. And it was him just yelling about all this same shit or whatever. And they're always really interesting to me because the tools are there. You can see the techniques and moves. And so there's these, you know, on a craft level these fucking timing things that they do. And these like ways of setting up jokes that no amateur comic knows how to do. But then the content of what they're talking about is just, it's not just that it's annoying and that it's about cancel culture. It's also only about cancel culture. Like, right. You, yeah.
0: comedy is a, 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 a it's
1: not meme just pushing boundaries. It's not just speaking truth. It's looking uh, big umbrella thing it can be about anything i mean yeah watch Eric I, saw, I saw
0: i saw a meme on facebook recently that even i the guy who published canceling comedians while the world burns had to admit was funny said it the 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 the, the text was it's hilarious to note all you have to do is take a, a picture of a smug man and put the netflix logo <laughs> next to them <laughs> and you got a comedy concert special thumbnail um and So, like, and you know, and there's like four examples of a comedy, Netflix comedy special called Triggered, with a guy looking really smug. Those Uh, are real.
1: That there really (laughs) were like ten of those within the span of like two years because a, a a real phenomenon is occurring, which is that people are, you know, reaching a point where they need a scapegoat. I think, and that's my real beef with like the cancel culture thing is that. I think it's a very devious scapegoat, and so one thing people bring up a lot when you talk about this is like um, this kid Shane Gillis who got fired from SNL. He got hired in a round of hirings. They hire people all the time. It's it's weird because it's not always news, but like the show's a meat grinder. People get thrown in, thrown out all the time. And a few years ago, this kid got hired, and he it uh, was immediately fired like before he ever made it to the stage. And it was this big controversy in comedy because um what had happened is somebody dug up like an old podcast clip of his where he was doing like a you know an asian accent or whatever and then there was this huge in inter-comedy discussion about whether you know is that racist or are people not understanding that there was irony or you know do, does the, the how do audiences play into this you know and mm-hmm. it was this whole fucking thing but a lot of grifter types came along and i think they saw an opportunity here to rile people up and go even if this is like an unconscious thing that happens honestly i think this is how it works is go you know there's this cancel culture thing and it's the reason that this guy lost a job and we all need to be you know vigilant about it and also you should listen to my podcast and subscribe to the patreon and buy all my books about cancel culture and stuff like that it's usually yeah yeah awesome. yeah yeah so
0: Look, I, I tell you with zero books you know you're always we have a youtube channel we're always looking for clicks <laughs> and I, I have to walk uh, a line about this stuff because it is – the algorithm rewards you right for that kind of phony outrage about well, of stuff, course, right? it's, it's rewarding because everyone is unhappy
1: for a reason they can't place, and this is a pretty good explanation that appeals to a lot of people. So
0: here's my point. I do it. think – but I do think – I'm just going to say this. I think cancel – the urge to cancel on the left stops us from thinking, stops us from engaging and makes us look bad and unpalatable to most normal people, and I and I I think that the kind of ratioing that I went through was, in certain sense, deserved because I walked right into it, you know, knowing full well that it was gonna. If I didn't know the extent it was gonna happen, but I knew people would get mad. So like, it, I'm not a victim of anything, but I do think that people are victimizing themselves when they when they try to change the cultural attitudes of America in this way.
1: Well, I don't think, listen, that's a, that's the second point I got to get to. Right. My my point about the Shane Gillis thing. Yeah. I think is a good place for us to start as leftists because if you know, actually what happened there. So Saturday night live is a huge corporate thing owned by like Viacom, one of those huge networks. Right. And, uh, they have, you have to sign like a, like an insurance clause when you get hired, that says if you ever, you know, did anything racist in art in your past and it gets dug up, you will be fired, right? Mm -hmm. We have to because otherwise you could get sued and then right. So why did they hire? Why do they hire people in the first place to make money? They don't give a shit about art. That is not how businesses work. Mm -hmm. They hire people that they think their audience is going to like. So then why do they fire somebody? same reason to protect the bottom line right right Mm -hmm. so you got a guy like lauren michaels who comes into the picture and he was running that guy all around apparently like you know saying like oh i'm doing everything i can to to try to protect your career and all this stuff lauren michaels is the boss okay cancel culture the reason he fired this employee of his was because he wanted to protect his bottom line but Nobody wants to be known as the boss that fired you purely because it's part of the business. So cancel culture is a very convenient narrative for the boss to go. I didn't fire you. Cancel culture filed, fired you. It was all these leftists and uh, online SJWs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the reason that that is a ridiculous like explanation, I think, is because The boss has control over whether or not you work or you are fired, but we have no control over this billions of people using the internet and expressing their opinions. These are now a reality that we live in. There are just these waves and crests that occur online and you I mean, it's like, you know, sticking your finger in a dike. Like you cannot hold back the outcome. You, you're not
0: thing. allowed to say
1: dike, Jake. You can't say dike.
0: <laughs> go on. Spe- and you certainly me. can't say sticking your finger in one. <laughs>
1: but, <laughs> blame me. Blame the Dutch. That's their thing.
0: Uh, okay. All right. Um, all right okay. I've, uh, uh, okay. I had a thought and I'm going to see if I can, you know, brain worms. Um, but my thought was, you know, recently I, do you know who Jared Bauer is or have you ever heard of the, uh the YouTube channel wise crack. You ever heard of this channel? No. sounds familiar, yeah. It was a pretty it, it's a pretty big uh YouTube channel. It does philosophy. It's not a comedy thing. Um uh but it's like the philosophy of uh Minecraft, you know, that kind of channel, right? We have watched uh, a few of these like a hundred like, a hundred different videos about Rick and Morty. Yeah, um yeah. yeah and but but when he started it was a little bit more serious. Um I actually wrote for them a little bit. a while but didn't i washed out because i was too marxist um and i had him on because he he quit the the channel and uh moved to finland i think and um uh, because like nervous breakdown in hollywood is basically what happened and but he came on he had read canceling comedians while the world burns he wanted to interview ben burgess on his channel which he did we did a collaboration i interviewed him on our channel and uh what he thought Was that, you know, cancel? The the real reason that cancel culture existed was because Hollywood was in disarray and people uh, are struggling to, you know, eke out careers and everybody is just in a very precarious position when you're trying to make a career in Hollywood, right? So you're using any tool you can to try to get ahead. And also, there's this sort of phony Hollywood liberal culture. Where you, it's it's still run by the same rich people and rich big corporations. It's all the same product, but now we put a gloss on it, right? That that was. I'm not doing his what he said justice. But the thing that was interesting to me about talking to him was I brought up at the towards the end of the conversation said, "But look, why are why is everyone feeling so precarious? Because we now have an internet culture, a digital culture, where independent." artists can try to make products, you know, content uh, on their own and can develop, you know, not huge mainstream success, but a career without the backing of these uh, corporations. And what I was asking him was, why is there so little truly interesting filmmaking that's just being independently done for these digital platforms like YouTube or Vimeo or, or, you know, wherever and I think maybe there is a platform that puts experimental films up that I should check out and someone told me that but but the point when it comes to comedy uh, you know in a world without uh, the the struggle for the SNL slot would cancel culture even be a thing and do you think that you know the patreon model the podcast world is a way for comedians to be true to their vision and not worry so much about being canceled by Lauren michaels not really the the mob
1: well yeah i mean i like uh patreon i make my money off of it and one of the yeah. things that's really nice about it is that um you can't cancel someone's patreon you can't call patreon and tell them you know well nothing that, that would really happen i mean pa- patreon doesn't give a sh- let's put it this way patreon is in Lauren michaels position right they don't give a shit what I say on my show. They just care that it brings in money. So it sort of functions in a way that cuts some of the edges off of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this age we're living in with this tech stuff is, you know, to some extent it's, it's a good thing. It kind of makes things a little bit more egalitarian, but like, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it's beside the point to me to really think about things this way because I think you're right to point out that there's precarity it, and it is exists to different degrees in different parts of society and within like an art form like stand up or something like that., mm-hmm. uh, having something like Patreon is good because it puts you in a less precarious situation. Um, I personally, before Patreon, never struck out t- to quit my day job and think I would do something as foolish as try to be a comedian. Because yeah. I am like not. I
0: mean, I I fucking. Did you ever try like touring? To, I mean, are no, there yes, enough I comedy do, clubs do. where you could? Could you go? Could you have made when you started? Could you have made a living just going on the road from one comedy club to another across the United States? Would that started- a
1: possibility? I started doing stand up like 15 years ago or something like that. And back mm. then, there were people that lived on the road, not even just as headliners, but as features, right? Mm. Uh, which is like the middle act. Mm. And then the, the economy changed in a lot of ways. And the underlying nuts and bolts, the base of all of this stuff is what changed. And then that expressed itself through the job, right? And so for me, I, first of all, I, even back then, I don't know if I would have done it and become like a headliner because as soon as you make that jump, where you're like, OK, I only do this and I have to do, you know, Chattanooga and then the Looney bin and whatever Ohio after that and et cetera and so on and so forth, you've painted yourself into a corner because, A, now you have to only talk about certain things. And, yeah, you can get canceled and you can lose that job. And honestly, I don't feel that bad for those fucking people because I've always seen this as a working class guy. And I've always been like, just fucking have a day job where you work at a restaurant or something like that. Mm. And you can actually make legitimate art that is not confined by all these things by, a, by sort of like presuming that it is uh, that you're only valid as a, an artist if you are doing it a hundred percent of the time. And so that's why I see this as like, um you know, when, when comics are complaining about getting knocked down from such great heights as like being hired from SNL or like, Oh, I lost a Netflix deal or whatever, which isn't even happening most of the time. Uh you know, I, I go boo hoo. Oh, you didn't get to be, you know, a, a very rich, posh, protected artist. Well, if you didn't achieve that, you never had it to begin with, and even like that, it never even happens. Like that guy I was talking about, Shane Gillis, he now has a Patreon that makes like more money per month than he would have made on SNL ever. No one gets paid as much money as this dude's making it off of Patreon, so I'm like, it, it doesn't exist. Like, there's now a cottage industry,
0: yeah. You know, Genius. But the SNL thing is not just about the salary from SNL, but so many people from SNL go on to make movies and, and be kind of long-term celebrities in the culture. Well, if maybe you that's feel not the case anymore. that, I personally, I think you're- I don't think people birth. feel entitled to that, but when you get hired, I mean, I can imagine myself in this guy's position. But, but you get hired, saying- you, your, dream, your dream's there. <laughs> I, I work so hard, and then once you get hired, then I deserve it. You know, like now uh, the the proof is in the pudding. I got to this point because I feel so great. Are you a comedian? I mean, why are no. you schooling me on how the career of comedian works? Because I feel like it's not that different than like being a science fiction novelist or something, because I am that. Like I, I did think- struggle in a similar kind of industry where like, you know, so you start out writing short stories, you try to get attention, then you try to get a book deal. And then, you know, if you manage to get a book deal and you sell Two hundred thousand copies or something, then you're in the, then you've made it, right? So there's a there's a hierarchy of, you know, it's like you get paid fifty dollars a short story, you know, if you're lucky to start with. If you're not just paid in contributors' copies, I mean, like I've been in a similar. Position. I don't know if it's not the same thing as stand-up comedy but. well
1: I guess to me it seems bougie to like feel like that is even a good outcome in a specific art form and I'm saying this because I just I, I always think about punk musicians when I talk about this sort of stuff I, I love punk music and most people that make that type of music would never presume to go like oh I should be you know I should be kept and made and, and, you know, I should have an agent and get booked on all, somebody who does all this work for me. And then, you know, it's, Oh, what if I lose all this stuff? I made? like the, the, the point is to actually be uncompromising in what you're doing. And if that means that you never get out of the gutter, so be it because you're making a better product in the gutter. And that's, to me, that's the heart of the working class.
0: Well, then I, I feel, you know, vindicated. As a mid-tier, <laughs> never hugely successful fiction writer, well, Um <laughs> you, <what laughs> would be had you become yeah. like
1: Stephen. K- no, that, he's not a. Uh, well, I guess he's a fiction writer. I was trying to think of it. If
0: I um, become like, uh, let's say, William Gibson, or someone like that, yeah. But, um, but I don't know. To, 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 okay, just as one wannabe creative artist to another, like, don't you feel though that you want your work to be as widely accepted and and consumed I guess is the way I would put it in today's culture is horrible but like don't you want a a big audience don't you want to have a big impact on the culture don't you have something to say for the whole world don't you want to be remembered after you're dead don't you want them to teach your comedy uh, you know a hundred years from now I mean isn't aren't you the king narcissist like I am why 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 don't you want more Jake
1: well is that that bougie I mean I I kind of think that um if you are one of the 20 people who have a special called triggered right now in like hundreds of years, you're probably not going to be remembered as much as the person who came after this and maybe crested everything in a different direction or something. Right. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, (laughs) Also, I think like right now, if you have one of those triggered specials, I, I look at that and I go, yeah, you are, one way of looking at this is that you have a massive audience and everyone in America likes you. Another way of looking at that is that you've reached a lowest common denominator and everyone in America likes you. And that's not a good thing. Artistically, it's good if you're selling bread or fucking clothes or something like that, where you, you know, you're a capitalist and you want to sell as much stuff as possible to, to validate what you've done as this means I make a good product or whatever. But with art, I mean, I, I I don't know. You know what? I, I'm a millennial. I I, feel, I have much more in common with Gen Xers when it comes to this. I feel like when I talk about this stuff where I'm like, didn't we used to all think that pop music sucked? Like, didn't we all used to think that the most popular thing sucks and that you're actually cool if you have a more authentic take? Oh,
0: no, it's a contradiction in my thinking, too. Like, I wanted to be a cool underground novelist and have everyone read my books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, you know, so, I, yeah, I understand. You're right. I mean, there's. I'm just I, sort of.
1: I think that desire to to have everyone read your stuff or watch your comedy or whatever is what kind of pushes things in this direction where the the artist becomes more and more deranged about the process because it is a contradiction. And honestly, like I think what's really going on in the minds of Chappelle and people like this who get fixated on this concept is that you don't actually – ever finish and you never actually reach the promised land and you never actually get to this imagined place where you're like I did it I'm happy with myself I'm existentially fulfilled because you know what you like what you actually want is something we have not achieved yet right my yeah. big, brain take about this is that your brain wants to be a communist you know it wants to live in harmony with its fellow man when you get into your golden castle you're like none of these people are happy you know they're all maniacs and they're all they're all on their fucking computer all day, like arguing with people. And I think what's (laughs) happening there is that, you know, you have this situation where there is still a precarity. Even if you're that rich and famous, mm-hmm. you're going to lose some money depending on whether somebody writes an article about you or whatever. And instead of realizing that you now have that precarity in common with workers all over the world, because you could be working at, as a dishwasher at a restaurant and your job is exactly as precarious as Chappelle's is, all it takes is one person to complain or your boss just on a whim to decide they don't want to have you there anymore. Like mm-hmm. instead of real think, considering yourself like, a tragic story because you have so much farther to fall than that person. You should look at the entire picture and realize, Oh, the problem is the precarity, right? The problem was capitalism the whole time. But when you have like these like petty bourgeois types who start to realize that precarity, what do they, what do they classically do throughout history? Instead of identifying with the class below them, they identify with the class above them because we're temporarily Mm -hmm. embarrassed millionaires. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you start to look at that as like a young entrepreneurial, individualistic, you know, Capitalist, which is what a mm. comic unfortunately is in this
0: world. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: And you're what you need is a fucking scapegoat for this paranoia and bad feeling you have, and this idea that like something's coming to get you. And it's just like Trump with it telling you all oh, immigrants are the problem. It's it's someone's coming along and going, it, you know, this thing that makes you really fucking agitated when you look at it on your cell phone, like when you look at like cringe reels and stuff like that. That's like. A, a, a specter of a fucking looming thing that what is the implication that we can like root it out like we're gonna go around the country and fucking shake everyone by the shoulders and go you stop doing this thing like you can't you're talking about the expression of a like a contradiction on the base level of class right right being expressed in this way i i think like I, it just seems profoundly un. Marxist for me to look at this
0: way. Well, I, I I'm going to defend my Marxism in the in the parrot room because we're coming up on 41 minutes, but I want to say something about what you said that I agree with. Sure. Which is that, like, I definitely agree that um, the artist in today's society, even when they succeed and reach the pinnacle of success as society defines it, is never going to be happy. One of the things I recognize it myself is like i struggled for years to get a short story published in uh national magazine right and i finally did and it didn't change anything about (laughs) anything (laughs) like i got i got a couple hundred dollars and uh uh, almost no recognition and then that is the
1: like one of the most bittersweet feelings in the world and every artist has it
0: right (laughs) right right and then i go my okay i know what i need i need a novel I got to sell a novel then I'll and I sold my first novel and again I, I the the letdown after my first novel came out was not just because it didn't sell millions of copies it I made a little bit of uh, royalties off of it not a lot it was because it didn't it solve anything in my life it, it was nice to have done it it so I've gotten to a point now where when I write something or I, or I work for zero books even I mean I, I work for zero books and make what I do because I get paid to but um I try to not have the same ego investment in it. And by ego investment, it's not like think, well, it's not that I think too well of myself when I make these things. It's the ego investment is, Oh, this thing will redeem me. It never will. So yeah, that's what you have to let go of. And I think maybe if you, it gets success really young, um, you might get stuck in this thought of i can rede- get redeemed like if you if your first time out of the bat uh, out of bat you hit a home run you might just start to feel like oh yeah this this will work eventually um i feel like people need to fail a little bit more to be healthy yeah
1: i mean i also think that like you know i, I know some uh older comics who sort of break away from their peers by realizing i think what their younger colleagues are saying about this and hipping to it a little bit but it seems like they're fighting the voice in their head when they talk about it but i mean this is you're you see this all the time especially in something like comedy where the 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 product the artistic product is often like a take which is confusing because it's like is this philosophy or is it Mm -hmm. joke writing i don't really know Mm -hmm. but like i noticed recently is uh, i think uh john stewart just said something about cancel culture recently where he went like it's not even real like no one ever gets canceled which is a thing that like me and my friends are screaming from down here yeah dude i see that i'm like oh the first one of these guys figured it out and within 10 years or so the rest of them are either going to catch up with him or sink into the tar pit
0: right well i do think cancel culture online for the vulnerable exists like i think that you know that when this we can start, maybe we can start the, the next round of conversation about this, like this trans woman, Daphne, who was a friend of Chappelle's, the ray showing or the attacks she received online probably contributed to her demise. But, you know, that and that and there are other people who've lost their jobs and who've uh, who are not in the entertainment industry, who've been canceled um or publicly shamed or what have you. And I, do who I
1: know that, it, man. You ever seen my Twitter feed?
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't follow your Twitter feed as much as I ought to. Well, maybe. it's pretty bad, dude.
1: I get fucking doxed all the time. I had my nudes put out there everywhere. Every fucking you, person. You you,
0: you let someone take a picture of you nude. You are a millennial. What are you doing, right? Like, what people if they went over to your podcast, uh, what would they find? What's what's going on in your
1: podcast oh right sure we do a mixed bag on my show by the way also uh likewise always a pleasure thanks for having yeah. me thanks for right oh yeah. I, I appreciate that you let me yell at you and even encouraged me to do yeah. that it's always, yeah. uh, always a good time talking to people in good faith you know yeah. so yeah. uh yeah likewise welcome on my yeah. show anytime um so on pda on pod damn america it's kind of a mixed bag we do like we're comedians so sometimes we fucking just riff about the news and then we try to do these deep dives we just did a really good one on uh cursed i always fuck up her name kirsten cinema um mm-hmm. and her career and you know i think we've got some historical things in the in the works um and then on my other show why you mad we're, we get a little bit more into the pop culture so kind of similar to what we we're doing here i think we're mm-hmm. going to talk about squid game this week and uh that, okay. It, okay. My ahead. kid
0: keeps talking about Squid Game. What the hell is Squid Game? Is that a show? Is it a video game? What is it? Well, <laughs>
1: it's a, a long form concert that is. Um, it's seven concerts in a row. It's a TV show. I'm just talking with you. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a. It's a. I like was a, totally
0: buying that. I it I was a concert. Yeah. Finally, something is a concert.
1: No, no, no. <laughs> it's a Netflix series. It's really good. It's Korean, right? It? right? It's okay. Uh, people people always say south korean as if it was going to be a north korean show but uh mm-hmm. no it's it's korean and it's like there's a lot of really good like kind of horror and stuff coming out of korea i mean especially bong joon ho won you know the mm-hmm. oscar for parasite so there's now a spotlight on this like kind of interesting anti-capitalist shit that's coming out of korean film and mm-hmm. squid game is essentially without ruining it um you know it, it's kind of like there's a genre of film called like battle royale now which is based mm-hmm. off of if you've ever seen the film battle royale bunch of kids fucking kill each other in a game show right um the, the hunger games is like the, the american mm-hmm. version of that so squid game is basically that genre of tv show um but it's it's like it's good it's artistic it's got if you're a leftist you'll see all of the anti-capitalist metaphors and undertones and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and um it's it's pretty cool so we're going to dissect it and talk about it a little bit because there's also stuff going on in it that's like specific to korean culture that you might not notice through the western lens but like yeah i mean i i I am a leftist but i'm also a culture guy so like i love dissecting film and
0: stuff like that all right so people should go over and uh, the people who are cooler than I am and know about Squid Game already should definitely go over uh, and watch your stuff. And I'll tell you what, uh, Jake, I'm going to take this part of this recording snippet and put it onto the public one so people can get the bigger audience will get directed to your. Oh,
1: so. cool! Well, so, if you're in Florida, check out my Twitter because I've got some tour dates coming up. I'm playing a uh, fest the. Uh the punk festival in gainesville florida and i'm doing jacksonville after that
0: cool all right all right are you going to be at uh, the funny bone or any place like that in the in the future any i love comedians when they're on talk shows they're like i'm going to be at jollies or whatever.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well we're all carnies like so it's just it's in their dna to go oh shit i got i got a um what do you call it like uh you know sh- uh, shill right now at the end of it <laughs> Actually, you know what? I did almost forget to plug my album. Uh, I have a new album out on stand-up records. It'll be out on November 5th. And cool. uh, it's called Bad Omen because I recorded it right before the fucking world ended. And it feels weird now.
0: Okay. I'll put a, I'll, Can I put a link to, to Bad Omen in the sh- description and people could click on it and then go actually buy your album?
1: Uh, yeah. I'll see if we can figure out how to do that. Yeah. Because it's okay. not up yet. But we'll figure but something
0: out. Pre-order it maybe? Yeah. All right. Thanks for watching this Zero Books video. If you enjoyed it, subscribe to this channel and click on the notifications bell so that you'll be alerted whenever we release a new video. You should also consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get access to our Inside Zero Books podcast every week and can get access to the Zero Books Book Club and help us to continue making online content from the left.